I'm Chris Denson, and this is The First Step, a custom podcast from Fast Co. Works and McKinsey and & Company. On today's episode, you'll hear my conversation with Renee Lammers, Chief Science Officer at PepsiCo. After that, I talk with Eric Roth, Senior Partner at McKinsey & Company. We discuss the importance of messaging when building a new business. I guess for starters, as a Chief Science Officer at Pepsi, can you just tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, basically, it's uh, overseeing globally PepsiCo's R&D activities, which spans from innovation, whether that's short-term and long-term innovations, the technology investments we need to make for you know key enabling sort of activities, uh, all the way to quality assurance, food safety, regulatory affairs. So it spans a broad range of activities. We have around 2,500 uh, sort of R&D folks around the world. We have R&D facilities in all our uh, key markets. So it's a global, true global role, uh, Chris. Wow, that's yeah, that's a that's a, a lot to take on on a, on a day-to-day basis. I guess as far as that goes, though, I mean, you're constantly developing new products, right? You got some that are probably in an incubator ready to go tomorrow, and you got some that are 10 years out. Um, how do you manage, like, what gets released when? And maybe give us an example of something recent that you're pretty happy about. Yeah, so listen, the book's written about how you do innovation, yeah? So um, the first comment I'd like to make is that, uh, you know, great ideas could come from anywhere. It's just not just one group's role to do ideas generation. We have frontline people that spend 24-7 of their time with customers and shoppers. And what we're trying to do is capture all those learnings. And then through some sort of innovation screening process, we try and judge those of consumer relevance or commercial attractiveness or technical readiness. But we also have our big core brands or we're launching new brands. So uh, one I'm particularly proud of is a sparkling water brand we launched in the US not so long ago called Bubbly. It's a flavored sparkling drink. Yeah. So the other point I'd like to make is we tend to think in product development as purely physical product, but particularly my colleagues in the design group are telling me it's total brand experience. Yeah. Um, so as much as it's about product, it's about packaging and the total experience we want to bring to the consumer. What kind of messaging and thought goes into the design of that messaging when new product is available? The most important thing is that this is true cross-functional teamwork, yeah, right from the start. And I think to get, you know, the product developers uh, together with the marketeers develop the messaging as you develop the product. And I think that all has to go in sync in terms of come up with an overall marketing mix that, you know, one product attribute sort of uh, augments the the messaging you want to do with the consumer. So for me, one of the most important things of innovation and development, product development is true cross-functional teamwork right from the start. Yeah. I assume we'll come to talk about lead times and how we can go increasingly go faster. But one observation I'm making here is that innovation, great innovation is often enabled by true cross-functional teamwork right from the get-go yeah no that's great and i also think about like look if, if you're sort of experimenting all over the world and trying different products and flavor profiles and messaging and so on and so forth at the end of the day obviously you have a business goal 
how much are you allowed to explore just for the sake of exploration? And how does that feed back into the actual, you know, all right, this is a product that's on shelves that we're going to sell for X amount of dollars and to keep our lights on as a business. Yeah, that's why you do have a, uh, a stage gate, as we call it, process, uh, Chris. Yeah. So and at the front end, the idea is to have lots of ideas and lots of experimentation. That's where the the creative juices, no pun intended, should flow. Yeah. And there's freedom in terms of ideas that could could service and you can do some rapid prototyping whether it's packaging or product but of course when you then start moving closer to a commercial to decision to launch or not to launch yeah then we need to build in some discipline particularly when we start adding significant uh, capital dollars if it's uh, for instance requiring a upgrade or a uh, addition in in our manufacturing lines or significant uh, A&M dollars we're going to add to the uh, to the propositions. Hey, look, you've, you've been there a little over 10 years or close to 10 years, and I would imagine the innovation funnel has changed, mm. right, in terms of how products are sourced and designed and delivered. Um, what have you seen change over the course of your tenure with, with Pepsi? We try to think when we have a great idea right from the start, and a great idea could happen in any market. The next thought then we have is, how can we potentially roll that out in multiple markets so that you know we leverage our skill as pepsico i think it would be fair to say that when i arrived great ideas were sticking for too long in one single market so we've created now sort of a an organizational unit if you like and that's not only r d but it's cross-functional in nature that oversees this and the role is to see whether we can scale these ideas and roll these ideas outside a market where the idea was born and launched. And I think that's more and more what you like to see. If an idea can travel, it needs to travel. But what you maybe would not realize is that a certain formula that works in the US for regulatory reasons will not work in parts of Europe or Middle East. So from a product development perspective, you always have to bear in mind if you wanna roll a product in multiple markets, you have to design it in such a way that it actually can do that. The other thing and is this notion of innovation lead times reductions. I can't tell you how big that is a discussion for us internally, but of course that's a discussion, you know, I think for the entire industry. And obviously we are having internal targets, if you like, in terms of how we can reduce the lead times of, uh, of innovation. And the other yeah. thing is important is we, tend to think if you think stage gate or an innovation process, we think sequential. When you really want to generate speed, you have to think parallel. You all have to start at the same time, which means there are uncertain moments. That means you have to make decisions under uncertainty. You won't know everything at a single point in time. And then the third thing is, is I think we need to start using external benchmark in terms of how fast we should go. We tend to have our in internal benchmark okay, let's reduce the uh, lead time by X percent. I think we should sometimes look at other industries or, or other types of businesses or other geographies. So I'd like also this notion of not only benchmarking ourselves internally, but also externally. Pepsi is a large company, right? And any product I'm sure probably has at least a few hundred people touching it, whether you're you know, an account manager of some sort, or you're actually in the lab, or you're an engineer, or it's you, or you're the person responsible for messaging. How do you manage the communication up and down that pipeline so that everybody is aligned and up to speed and sort of marching in lockstep with one another? Yeah, that's a good question. My first point to make is, 
is simplify the organization and simplify the project team so that there are fewer people having to touch the product and make a decision. So that's one, how you innovate in a much simpler setup. The other thing is also is good project management so that the, the communication is there that you just referred to. But I also think it's a matter of trust. You know, I mean, sometimes functional expertise can sit in the way. And that's also what I'm trying to do with my own R&D organization is how can I get them move away a little bit from functional thinking when you're in an innovation project and working under uncertainty decision making is think like a, a business person. I am all for functional excellence. Don't get me wrong. That's lifeblood of R&D. But I think in these innovation projects where you want to go much, much faster, more uncertainty, more risk. I think I also want my R&D leaders that are working in those projects have a more balanced thinking when it comes to functional and, and business. And then it's a matter of how do we kill bad ideas fast? We hold on for too long to a project we love. I mean, R&D, we have that as well. We, you know, I mean, we can get all hung up on a beautiful technology and boy, why is the consumer not taking this? And we can't understand it, you know, and that's why you have a stage gate for that, but there's a culture element to that as well. Okay, one final question. Is there any one piece of advice you commonly give to business leaders at other organizations? My advice is R&D leader that probably didn't grow up in the digital age is how do we get generation of scientists, in my case, or our product developers that grew up in that world earlier on in, uh, in our critical thinking and decision making in our organization. So I try to tip organizational charts upside down and have the next generation of digital natives driving us and helping us to A, work faster, work more differently, use technology, use digital tools, as well as uh, think very differently on, on how you innovate. I think if you give people early on lots of responsibility, those are formative experiences, and those are, I think, reasons why people join enterprises like PepsiCo. Renee Lammers, thank you so much for joining us on The First Step. Thank you, Chris, and uh, good luck with the series. Thank you. And now my conversation with Eric Roth. You've obviously had a lot of experience building things, and and I think one of the more important parts of the process in building is how you communicate the ideas that are foundational to what you're making. In your experience, how have you found messaging to be part of the process and the journey in building new digital businesses? So first, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And your question on the messaging is a really important one because all too often we see businesses that are not really focused on a specific outcome or you know achieving a North Star. And there's a little bit of a difference between a business that's being created inside a larger organization and a pure startup. And so we should differentiate the two. But if we take the first use case, so you know, big company creating something brand new in terms of a business, way too often we don't see the North Star. What is the business supposed to look like in five and 10 years? How big should it be? What kinds of opportunities should it be focused on? What valuable problems is it meant to solve and for whom, for which sets of customers? These are big strategic questions that often get unanswered or are not answered well. Usually they just dive in and start building stuff. And that's where we often see less than positive outcomes. Well, is that, is that like a, a catch-22 or chicken and an egg scenario? Because sometimes the idea of experimentation right, leads you to the right 
business answer or business product. But at, at the same time, you know, if you are too narrow focused, then you may not find that same result that you would get as as you're exploring. Is there a sweet spot of like exploring versus be having that North Star that you mentioned? Absolutely, there is. You know, having a North Star doesn't necessarily mean there's a tight box that you have to work within. The best way to think outside of the box is actually drawing the box first. You need to know at least what direction you're headed, what kinds of challenges and problems you're trying to solve. What great experimentation requires is testing assumptions, testing hypotheses. And you can't have good hypotheses unless they're in service of an outcome. What happens is some companies say, oh, we'll just take a great group of people, we'll stick them in a really creative room with a foosball table, off they go, experimenting away, MVPs, prototypes, you name it, and they can come back with some interesting stuff, but if it's not anchored in a valuable problem that has some economic benefit to some group of customers, all that energy, all that experimentation uh, may not be leading you to anywhere that is valuable. And that's the difference. My bias, if any, is I like to set up businesses that ultimately will be profitable at a scale that's measurable and meaningful to the organization that's investing in them. Let's say you want to bring a marketing voice into the room for this project, whether it's to market it internally or externally or to consumers. When is that timing right to bring in that outside voice to make sure that your messaging isn't mechanical or you're not doing engineering speak or too much business jargon, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I think the biggest challenges for, for organizations is mobilizing the right resources. And I would suggest, based on a lot of experience over the years, that the first thing you have to do is identify who's your full-time team. Just even the project leader, who's going to be the entrepreneur, getting that person identified, removed from their current role, and then backfilled tends to take a lot longer than companies want to admit And so we actually have a bit of what we call the the, the team talent wheel, where we look at all the 10 different attributes that should be present on a team in order for it to increase the probability of a success. The core team should be made up of multidisciplinary skill sets because the reality is a new business is going to run into all sorts of different kinds of challenges downstream. So the more you can identify what those likely challenges are going to be upstream, and have an agile learning plan set in place to break through those most important assumptions and then figure out the path to scale, the more likely you'll be successful. So that will actually require a multifunctional team. Yeah, and I think when you're assembling a team like that, you know, and building something new, we don't associate traditional creativity with building a digital business, but I think it's the same sort of mechanics, right? This creative flow of what's new, what's exciting, how do we talk about it, how do we build it, how do we make it appealing to to a batch of consumers? Have you ever seen teams come across creator's block where they're kind of just stuck? And if so, how does it happen and how do they get out of it? Yeah, so you know the topic of creativity comes up a lot, and there's all sorts of theories out there on creativity. It's actually one of my pet projects is to understand creativity, and I've come up with a little bit of a philosophy where you know creativity for creativity's sake is interesting, and so the theory that sort of we've been developing is this notion that maybe pure creativity is not necessarily the right medicine for at least large organizations that are trying to build new businesses. I like and prefer a concept that I call creative discipline. The notion that if you can identify really good problems to solve and articulate them well, then you should be able to construct these multidisciplinary teams around those problems 
and they will be sufficiently creative in solving them to break through any blockages. I 100% agree with you. And I think there's also a line of thinking where, you know, internally, sometimes you may look at a team that's working on everything that we just talked about and think, oh, that's for them. Right. And which I still think is a form of messaging, how you communicate what that team's doing, how it's constructed. How do you start to give other people permission to start to be creative, quote unquote, in their own right? Well, you know, it depends. Again, creativity can come in many forms. Some of what I think you're implying is not actually creativity at all, but but risk taking or learning. And I would say one of the mistakes a lot of companies make in messaging is they say we want to encourage failure. Well, I'll offer, having worked in many countries around the world, that the idea of wanting to fail is not really appealing. I don't, I don't want to fail. Others that I typically interact with certainly don't want to fail. So this notion of fast failure, I don't know. I think that's framed incorrectly. I would love to learn quickly, which to me is the same thing. So how can I create a positive spin on learning, experimentation, and by the way, creativity in an organization so you can encourage the right kinds of outcomes and behaviors, which is, look, we just want people to learn and test stuff and figure out if stuff works. And then if it works, do more of it. It just is much more optimistic. And I tend to be, as for people who know me, a very optimistic person and like to see the possibility as opposed to the problem. I can hear your smile. Um, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic. Great to talk to you. That's all for today. The First Step is produced by Fast Co-Works in partnership with McKinsey. I'm Chris Denson. Thanks for listening.